If you could stand, please, for the reading of God's word, if you are able, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. This is about halfway through the letter to the church in Philippi. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. All of them are seeking their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy's worth you know, how like a son with a father he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I will also come soon. Verse 25. Still, I think it is necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my needs. For he has been longing for all of you and has been in distress because you heard that he was ill. He was indeed so ill that he nearly died. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, in order that you may rejoice in seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. Welcome him then in the Lord with all joy and honor such people, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for those services that you could not give me. This is the word of God. No, 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 no. I know we got a lot of guests here this morning. You don't know how we do this. When we say thanks be to God, we're like, you know, thankful. Yeah. So, so this is the word of God. Amen. Grab your seat. Grab your seat. So from this passage this morning, I'll preach from the title, Energized by the Gospel. Energized by the Gospel. Let me ask you a question. What is keeping you going these days? What keeps you going when your job is really not the kind of work you want to be doing? What keeps you going in that one friendship with the person who always seems more interested in telling you what's going on in their life than in hearing what's going on in your life? What keeps you going as you parent a child whose rebellious phase is starting to seem more like an indefinite lifestyle choice? What is keeping going in a city simultaneously so beautiful and full of possibility and yet so predictably inequitable and even violent? What keeps you going? Writing from prison, Paul probably had plenty of time to wrestle with this sort of question. Why? Despite all of the opposition, the slander, the physical assault, and now captivity in jail, why did he keep going? Why did he continue to share the news of Jesus of Nazareth's life, death, and resurrection when the consequences were so severe? What we've seen throughout our series in the book of Philippians is that the the answer had something to do with the very news he was sharing. The gospel wasn't just Paul's message, it was his motive as well. As Paul considered who he could send to encourage the Philippians who he had been separated from by prison, he reflected on those who share his gospel inclinations. And here at the halfway point in his letter, we find that Paul entrusted the Philippians to Timothy and to Epaphroditus because these men faithfully lived the gospel. What keeps us going these days? Paul was concerned about the vitality and unity in the church in Philippi. 
a church living under adverse circumstances. Would you agree that we have known some adverse circumstances lately? Like other churches in our city, in our country, in our world, new community has been stretched and squeezed and scattered in recent years. And because God has called our congregation to live in a very particular way as sisters and brothers across cultural lines of hostility and division, we have felt this sifting season in a particularly tender way. What keeps us going as a new community, a collection of former strangers learning to live together as a new family? I would suggest that the answer for us is actually the same as it was for Paul, for Timothy and Epaphroditus, for the Philippian church. The gospel energizes us to live as God's holy people. The gospel energizes us, empowers us, enlivens us to live as God's holy people. How? How does the gospel do this? Let me suggest three ways. The gospel energizes us to live as God's holy people. By first, giving us a new story. By second, giving us a new family. And finally, by giving us a new purpose. A story, a family, and a purpose. Let's take the first. The gospel energizes us to live as God's holy people by giving us a new story. Paul mentions the word gospel eight times in this letter. It's clearly important to him. But, but what is the gospel? My hunch is that if we took a moment and polled one another, we'd come up with a whole bunch of different answers to the question, what is the gospel? We, we know it's the good news, but the good news about what? about going to heaven one day, about being forgiven by God, about experiencing reconciliation in this life. What is the gospel? In my experience, oftentimes, when we talk and think about the gospel, we have some kind of a transactional uh, image in our mind. If I do this, then God will do this. If I pray this, then God will do this. If I confess this, then God will do this. If I believe this, then God will do this. Well, listen to some of the ways that Paul talks about the gospel in this letter. Paul says that there is a partnership in the gospel. There is a defense and a confirmation of the gospel. There is a progress of the gospel. Again, there is a defense of the gospel. Paul calls the church to live worthy of the gospel, to strive for the faith of the gospel. Twice, Paul talks about the work of the gospel, including in our passage today. And at the end of the letter, he talks about the early days of the gospel. Let me say that the early church did not have a gospel transaction. They had a gospel story. They had a true story of how God was rescuing the world through his son, Jesus Christ. This story began in creation, included the fall into sin, included the Son of God taking on our flesh and our humanity and resurrecting in power over sin, death, and the devil. This story includes the Son of God ruling over creation in his resurrected body and then one day resurrecting us and all of creation into God's good future. It's a story. It's a salvation unleashing story of Jesus the Messiah fulfilling Israel's vocation to be a blessing to the world through his life, his death, and his resurrection. The gospel is a story which begins with Jesus, reaches its climax in Jesus, and is held together by Jesus. 
The gospel is not a transaction in which I do something in order to receive something. The gospel is Jesus. God's grace and truth, judgment and mercy, power and love wrapped into the peasant teacher from Nazareth whose surprising life, shocking death, and saving resurrection fulfilled Israel's call to be a blessing to the world. Somebody say amen. Now watch. When, when the story of the gospel is reduced to a transaction, we sabotage our ability to live as God's holy people. Why? Because a transactionary gospel depends on us doing right, thinking right, believing right, behaving right, and so on. The call to be God's holy people is frankly too much for us. The burden of holding up our end of any sort of transaction always proves to be too much for us. Do I have any witnesses this morning? We cannot hold up our end of the deal. And so Timothy and Epaphroditus ought to be exemplary for us because here they are deeply committed to the Philippian community and yet have suffered greatly for it, including almost to the point of death, and yet they remained faithful. Timothy served, Paul says, with me in the work of the gospel. Epaphroditus, Paul says, came close to death for the work of of Christ, and yet they were not overcome by some burden of holding up their end of the transaction. Instead, their participation in God's story of salvation through Jesus empowered a sacrificial service to Paul and the Philippian church. So let me ask, is the gospel a transaction or a story to you? We all want to say story now, right? <laughs> So let me give us a kind of way to evaluate this. When you meditate on the gospel, are you left feeling more burdened or liberated? A transactionary gospel always requires more of us than we can accomplish. We are always striving and never arriving. We are left burdened by the weight of what we cannot do. But when the gospel is God's story of what God has already accomplished. We are left with a simple invitation to join God. Which is not to say that the gospel story does not convict us. Repentance and formation are the means through which we join God's story. But because the gospel story does not depend on our righteousness, repentance and spiritual formation become blessings and not burdens. Is the gospel a transaction? Or is it a story to you? The gospel energizes us to live as God's holy people by giving us a new and a better story. Second, the gospel also gives us a new family. Throughout the letter, Paul refers to the church as brothers and sisters. He calls Timothy a son with a father. He calls Epaphroditus my brother. Now, if you've been a Christian for a little while, it's easy to overlook this language. We think, well, that's just what, you know, Christian-y people do. They use this brother and spiritual language. It's, you know, something we're all a little embarrassed about, maybe. But Paul is getting this from Jesus himself. 
For example, in Mark chapter 3, verse 35, Jesus says, whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. That is to say that when we say yes to Jesus, we are baptized into a new reality. We are born into a new family. We receive new brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, aunties and uncles in the faith. And as we follow Jesus, we are put into a familial solidarity with others who are following Jesus. The new family of God is simply our reality. It is not an option, it's not a choice. It is the women and men to whom we now belong. Living as God's holy people can be hard. Our very presence as a boundary-crossing people in our society can provoke confusion and at times opposition. Our obedience to Jesus rather than to our culture's shifting priorities puts us out of step with our society. Our vision of God's shalom, God's peace breaking into our world right now means that sometimes we value things that other people overlook, like praying around the schools every Saturday for 10 years, like saying yes to Jackie Robinson so many years ago, rebuilding broken down garden beds, showing up saying, how can we be of service to you? When our shared life together faces these kinds of obstacles and others, we need convictions which ground us in community. Why? Because we are relational creatures. I know some of us introverts were like, no, I'm not. Yes, even you, even me, we are relational creatures. God has placed us in a new family whose lineage is the gospel, is Jesus himself which means that we have literal, physical sisters and brothers who are cheering us on right now. This means that that we can be reminded of the, the beauty and the power of the gospel by the people sitting next to us this morning. We have people, sisters and brothers, calling us back when we have lost the plot to the gospel story. We are not doing this thing on our own. This new family means that we have brothers and sisters who will walk with us through addiction, who will answer our shame with grace, who will lift us into mercy when we have stumbled into sin. This new family means that in a society which elevates the violent, we have access to a family who models gentleness. In a society which views chastity as quaint, celibacy as embarrassing, we have access to a family who honors our stumbling attempts to glorify God with our sexuality. In a society which excuses exploitation, we have a family who will never tire of reminding us of our innate God-given belovedness. Have you said yes to the family of God? We don't say yes to Jesus and then consider whether we say yes to the family of God. It all comes together. (laughs) Have you said yes to the family of God? The pandemic has isolated and pushed apart. Who are you purposefully getting to know these days? Which sisters and brothers in the family of God are you choosing to reach out to, to get to know, to care for? Some of us this morning, maybe, maybe you have never known the new family which Jesus invites us into. You can say yes to this new family at any time. We are an eclectic bunch here at New Community. 
We are imperfect. Somebody say amen. amen. We are ordinary at best. It is only the good news of the gospel, the good news of God's salvation through Jesus, which holds this particular community together. I promise you, I'm not good enough to do it. Pastor Michelle is better than me. She's not good enough to do it. Our best attempts cannot hold this community together. It is only the good news of the gospel which holds us together. You cannot be born into this family. Everyone is given the opportunity to enter by way of confession and grace. We confess, admit our sinful imperfections, and we accept God's infinite, never-to-be-exhausted grace. Joining the family of God means joining a community of sisters and brothers who are following Jesus to become like Jesus, to do what Jesus does in the world. If you're saying yes to God's new family today, I want to know about it. I want to hear about it. I want to pray with you. Find me, find Pastor Michelle after the service. The gospel energizes us to live as God's holy people by giving us a new family. And finally, by giving us a new purpose. Let me make sure you're awake. What was the first one? A new? Second one, a new? And third, a new? Oh, amazing. Okay, thanks be to God. The Holy Spirit is at work or the cold water is working. That's wonderful. God has given us in the gospel a new purpose. Timothy had become Paul's trusted protege, like a son. When others abandoned Paul, Timothy remained. Epaphroditus had been sent by the church in Philippi to care for Paul's needs, to bring an offering to him. He became sick unto death, and yet that was not enough to stop him. We need to notice this because many others had abandoned Paul when he went to prison. It became an embarrassment to them and to the gospel. Why did Timothy and Epaphroditus stay? What kept them going? I want to say that at least in part, the gospel had given them a new purpose in life. Having encountered Jesus, their previous priorities and plans had gotten totally rearranged. Their understanding of the world had been changed by the story of God's redemption in Jesus. They had found their place in the story. And maybe more importantly, they belonged now to a Christian community who had found together this new shared purpose in community. Now, I, I think there's at least two different ways that communities organize themselves. The first one is defined mostly by, by boundaries, visible, noticeable boundaries. There may be a, a detailed list of beliefs or convictions, uh, uh, maybe a list of certain kinds of behaviors or identity markers. Perhaps the, the boundary is by who is not allowed into the community, the, the other, the enemy, the opposition. I was on a, a call with a, a church down south a little bit ago, and doing a Q&A thing, and, and uh, one woman, a, a white woman, she had a question. She said, look, I'm a, I'm a white progressive, and, and I am just so sick and tired and angry by those white evangelicals. And, and then she kind of went off and kind of explained, you know, her, her issue, her, her burden. And what she couldn't see was how much she shared in common with the people who she had decided were the others were on the outside of the circle that she had drawn for herself. A second kind of community is one which shares primarily a common purpose. 
Now, it's not that this community is without convictions or beliefs. It's just that entry to this community is via purpose, not via a a list that you first have to check off. And I think for Timothy and Epaphroditus, the gospel had given them this new purpose. God was rescuing the world through Jesus. They were invited to participate, and everything else became secondary. Not unimportant. Everything else did not become unimportant. The Christians still went to work. They still made friends. They still got married. They still did the important things that they cared about. But now everything in their lives were experienced through the purpose of joining God's redemptive movement. How many of you know that there is something amazing about sharing purpose with a community? A a, a community built around purpose can sustain a lot of difference, a lot of diversity. It can open up space for common reflection, even from our very different vantage points. A long time ago, when I was in college, occasionally I would lead wilderness backpacking trips. And oftentimes these trips were made up of people who didn't know each other well or were just meeting each other for the first time on these trips. And there is something really interesting that happens when you are with a group of people for a few days who have a very clear purpose, making it through this trip alive and in your right mind. Uh, You know, camping and building fires and going rock climbing and canoeing down whitewater. Like, you want to make it and you got to depend on these people to make it through. And in the evening, sitting around the campfire, it was amazing to see how deep people would get real quick telling their life stories, talking about stuff that they probably had very few other people to talk about because they had a shared and common purpose. We're going to get through this thing together. There's something amazing about sharing purpose in community. New community, let me talk to us for just a minute. The gospel of Jesus Christ has given us a common purpose. The way we say it, is that we are a reconciled and reconciling people. We have already been reconciled by Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Amen? We can't do anything about that. Sheer gift, sheer grace. And we have been filled by the Holy Spirit and sent to be ambassadors of reconciliation in our community and beyond. We are a reconciled and reconciling people for God's glory and for our neighbor's good. That's the way that we have articulated our common purpose together. Our purpose is to live together, to worship together, lament together, rejoice together, serve together, rest together, confess together, repent together, forgive together in a manner which brings all glory and honor to God and which seeks the flourishing of all of our neighbors. We are not here to build our own kingdom, to advance our own reputations, I promise you we are not here to play at church. If we were, we'd have air conditioning. (laughs) We are not here to justify our self-righteousness, to advance our credibility. The gospel has given us a collective new purpose. Being a reconciled and reconciling people, a holy people, Paul will say, for God's glory and neighbor's good. Listen, our our shared common gospel purpose does not erase our differences or our preferences. Rather, it orders them before the lordship of the resurrected Son of God. 
We bring with us the distinctiveness of culture and personality and family. We bring tender places of trauma and bright places of hope. We bring with us, if we're honest, our suspicions and our biases, our preferences and our desires. We bring the constellation of our interior lives as well as the exterior inputs which have shaped how we view the world. We bring all of that with us. When we come to Jesus, we step into the true story of the gospel. We bring all of who we are along with our new sisters and brothers. And then we lay our whole selves before the resurrected Son of God as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Collectively, we submit our priorities and our plans to Israel's Lord and Messiah. We submit our steps to his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, we find the deepest purpose for which we are created, to live as image-bearing caretakers of God's creation in this new gospel story. So here's the question. Has God called you to live out the purpose of the gospel here at New Community? Some of you are like, I was just visiting today. I was like, this, this, this is not a sales pitch. This is not a pyramid scheme, I promise. It's not a, a salesperson to talk to you after the service. You just listen in. Just That's fine. I'm talking to those of you for whom New Community is your home or you've been discerning is New Community my home. Has God called you to live out the purpose of the gospel here? To nurture with your gifts, your experience, your life, this reconciled and reconciling community for God's glory and our neighbor's good? If the answer is yes or maybe, then friends, we need you all in. After 12 years of neighborhood ministry, it seems like God is opening up a massive door for us. After all these years of temporary and transitionary ministry, God has called us to put down roots, deep roots, in a permanent facility in our community. And when I tell you that the first possible facility that came our way looked impossible, Derek, impossible. Derek and I were some of the first people to see it. We said, impossible. St. <laughs> Ambrose Catholic Church does not have one nice little tidy building. It has three buildings. Entire campus on its property. A beautiful sanctuary, which we could reconfigure for ministry according to Warren Skipper, our resident, our, as an archaeologist, <laughs> architect. <laughs> building is kind of old. We might need an archaeologist too. We can reconfigure this building in some very creative ways. It includes a school building, which we could partner with Cambridge School of Chicago to forward their mission of providing high quality Christian education on the south side that they have been doing for over a decade in our community. It includes a three-story rectory that, well, I don't know, who knows what God wants to do with that. Tomorrow, our lawyer will look over the contract that the Archdiocese sent us. There's going to be some back and forth. But if all goes well, 
We will soon sign the contract, and then we will have 120 days of due diligence. Or as I want to say, 120 days to join God in doing something huge. In addition to passing some important inspections, we are going to need to raise, as a church community, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm just leaving it vague. Because when I say the specific, it just I get a little weak in the knees. So we're just going to say hundreds of thousands of dollars, James. Is this kind of crazy? Yes. Will it take a miracle? Many, many, many miracles. Does this massive step of faith align with the purpose given to us by the gospel of Jesus Christ? I believe 100% yes. Because if God moves mountains for us to purchase St. Ambrose, new community outreach will go from being severely cramped and constricted in our ministry center to overflowing with space, to serve alongside of our neighbors, to care for more young people who are navigating through trauma towards God's hopeful futures for their lives. Our ability to collaborate and cooperate with our church friends and ministry partners in our neighborhood as we collectively demonstrate the love of Christ to our neighbors, that ability will grow exponentially. God's specific calling for this church to live as a reconciled and reconciling people across lines of racial exclusion and antagonism will have good soil in which to root our witness and good structure to support the Spirit's fruit in our community. The unbelievable possibility of serving in ministry, nurturing our community, engaging in outreach with our neighbors from St. Ambrose only makes sense through the lens of the new purpose we have been given through the gospel only. In the days and the weeks to come, you're going to hear many different ways that you can participate in this St. Ambrose project. I'm asking you, if God has called you to new community to start praying now. Jennifer's been praying for like three years about this. She's like, I knew this was going to happen. I'm not surprised even a little bit, just in time for my grandbaby. But others of us can start praying today. Amen. Start praying today. If you've been on the fence, would you ask God for clarity about going all in with the expression of the gospel purpose that God has given this church? That's my ask. Because the gospel energizes us to live as God's holy people by giving us a new purpose, which will totally upend your life. I am a witness. Friends, there is only one foundation durable enough to support our, our church in this quaking season. Christ himself, the one who is the gospel. He has given us a new story which gives eternal meaning to our lives. He has invited us into a new family of sisters and brothers who walk with us in our discipleship to Jesus. He has provided a new purpose which orients all of our plans and all of our priorities around God's salvation and God's shalom. Paul addressed this letter way back at the beginning 
to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus in Philippi. Were he writing the letter to us, I imagine it would begin very similarly. To all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus, in that hot and stuffy park district gym on the south side of Chicago, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we cannot live as God's holy people on our own. In a world which slices and splits and sends away, the call to live as a reconciled and reconciling people is far too big for even our best intentions and efforts. So thanks be to God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through it, we have been given all that we need as we live into this new community, a new story, a new family, a new purpose. So let us thank God again for his gospel. Lord Jesus, we say thank you for your gospel. We say thank you for the Son of God who fulfilled Israel's vocation, his life, death, and resurrection to bless the entire world. We thank you for the gospel which reminds us that you have not forgotten or misplaced us, that you are making all things new. We thank you for the gospel which invites us to find our story in yours and to arrange our plans and priorities through the lens of the beautiful good news of our Savior. So pull us into this new story, Lord Jesus. Remind us of the family that is ours in you. And give us a vision, a big vision. A vision which turns our own lives upside down. Of the purpose which you have given to us through this good news. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.